Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. I'm your host, Dr. Janet McMorty, and I'm still a medical doctor simultaneously trying to pursue a career in acting. My guest this week is Ruth Kaufman. Ruth is a lawyer turned actor. She's my third lawyer turned actor, but my first lady lawyer turned actor. And she is one of the few second act actors that I've spoken to that has gotten to play their first act in their second act. And she talks about this in the in the episode she was in. Oh, you know, the Marvel Universe playing a lawyer. <laughs> I always speak about this with people about how I never get to play a doctor. I actually just got to be on set just recently playing a doctor. Oh, exciting. But it is so rare to actually audition for doctor roles, even though that is who I am, what I do. But she was a lawyer and got to play a lawyer in the Marvel Universe. She's incredible and has an amazing story to tell. Please enjoy Ruth Kaufman. Chicago. I, I've never actually been to Chicago, but I've taken some virtual Second City Chicago classes, some of those improv classes, and met a ton of people from Chicago just online. Uh, and everyone there loves the city, like loves yes. it. Well, we have such great theater. There's acting opportunities, as you mentioned, improv, not just at Second City, but other places I've taken at three of the main schools here, the complete programs. So there's just a lot for actors and people to do because it's a great place. It's a little chilly at this time of year, but we also have nice weather too, and the lake is beautiful, and we have great restaurants and parks. So I could be the spokesperson. Welcome to Chicago. <laughs> Welcome to Chicago. <laughs> Well, yeah, tell me your story. How did you get into acting and have you always been in Chicago? I'm from Chicago. I did go away both for college and graduate school and for a very short time to follow a boyfriend. Um, very short time, but I always knew that I wanted to come back here for some of the reasons of the restaurants and theater and, and all the opportunities that the city presents. And I have always wanted to be an actor since basically kindergarten. I had my first little lines in our little holiday pageant, and I got a laugh, and I still remember that. And I thought, well, that's really cool to be able to entertain people. Throughout grade school, I did have most of the leads in the plays, perhaps because I was the loudest kid, and I did have a good memory back then, and I wasn't shy, you know, and all those things. We did perform in a big auditorium, so that can be off-putting for little kids. But then um, in fifth and sixth grade, I did not we did a, in fifth grade we wrote our own Thanksgiving dinner and I really wanted to be the chef but I did not get that I got the cranberry sauce so I wrote a cranberry thing that I still remember some of I am called the red cranberry I grow on a bush and when the people eat me why then I go squish and <laughs> yes and so that at least continued my laugh getting and then in uh, sixth grade, we did a musical version of Tom Sawyer. And, of course, everyone wants to be Becky. I clearly did not look like a Becky then or now. And we did have a girl in our class, perfect blonde hair, perfect little freckles. And um, I got the small part of sort of the cranky Aunt Mary. And in the irony that happens, I wound up helping Becky learn her lines. But I always wanted to be an actor. So, and I did continue through junior high, high school, college, even graduate school. I did some performing. So, but especially in a different generation, my father especially believed in real jobs. That is a vein that comes through all the time when I chat with people who are these second act actors, right? Especially from the generation of Gen X and their parents. Right. So the Gen Xers with their parents being the quote unquote silent generation who would have the same job for like 40 years and then retire and get the watch. Right. Right. Which is n no longer really a thing. I think it's just the longevity of it, because 
I don't know, we just live in a, a bit of a different time. Is that kind of a sense that you were getting when you were being raised by your dad? Yes and no. My father was a doctor who owned his own business, and I do see some sense to that theory that instead of working for other people, or as actors often do, yes, you can do your own content, you can do outreach, but a lot of the time we are being judged by other people and waiting for auditions to come in, or even if we get the dream audition and we do a good job, as you well know, there's no guarantee, oh, she has red hair, oh, she has dark, you know... um, the littlest thing can keep you from success in a role, whereas if you own your own business, you in theory have more control and maybe can become a financial success that way. And that's what his big concern was. He, he just, you know, who hasn't heard of the starving actor? So with that being part of who you are, like ingrained in as your childhood, did you did you want to go to theater school? Were you allowed to go to theater school? Or what did that look like? Yes. And I think I have a lot of yes and no answers. (laughs) My father was also gracious enough to pay for college, which is a great gift. And I could have, I suppose, chosen not to accept it and carve my own way. But as anyone knows, it's very hard to earn your way through college. And so I was grateful for that. And then the question becomes, how much right does whoever pays for your college have to not control you, but suggest or strongly suggest? And I did apply to Northwestern in Chicago, and I got into their theater school. So he wasn't averse to that. But I had decided I was going to get a double major wherever I went, so that I could say, here's my acting major and here's my practical major. So I wound up going to Michigan, University of Michigan Ann Arbor, and I got an econ degree and uh, communications with radio, TV, film. And then you went to grad school after that? Yes, because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I grew up, and I wasn't ready to commit to some of the recruiting that a lot of my friends were doing in terms of... um, like Procter and Gamble came to to Michigan and had career fairs and things like that, and I really just didn't know what to do. And my father, again, I mean, he was a big influence, but back then, I don't know if as many kids were willing to sort of stand up to their parents and be a rebel. Again, and and this is an interesting point too. This is also the day before days before the internet. So you couldn't just sort of hop online and be, how can I put myself through college? How do I um, tell my father this is what I really want? You know, yes, there's false information out there, but I do believe the Internet quickly gives you a sense of direction. And back in my day, back in my day, I would have had to go to a library and find myself, you know, the, the, uh, the, the catalog cards and hope somebody wrote a book There weren't even computer search engines to help you find relevant books. So you have to sort of come up with the title or the topic. You know, how to tell my parents I don't want to listen to them. You know, was that a thing? I don't know. But it seemed just daunting to me back in the day. Grad school looked like what? So, yeah, what did you do? Yes, my dad again said, if you go now, I will pay. If you don't go now, I will not pay. So since I wasn't sure what to do, I did love school. And I knew that any education is always a benefit. I did another double joint degree. So I looked for programs where I could go to law school because I knew I didn't want to be a doctor. And I didn't really want to go. Maybe business school would have also been a good alternative. But for some reason, I had settled on law school, even though it's three years where business school is two. I don't know. Um, So at the time, the two best programs to my eye were in Syracuse and Bloomington, Indiana. And I chose Syracuse because their Newhouse Communications School then and now is still very highly reputed. So my focus was more on where the better communications and radio TV programming was, as long as the law school was still good. That's so interesting. It's like, okay, there's this deep down passion, but you're like, I guess I'll go to law school. Well, but again, you know, it's hard not to listen to the practical side, and I did not want to be a waiter as an adult, I know some people do and like it, but that just wasn't me. But in law school, I was able to find a lot of ways to keep being creative. I uh, hosted, 
I was the female anchor for a cable comedy news show called Newswatch. I sang in the symphony chorus. I wrote for the law school newspaper. I um, interned at a public uh, television and radio station. So, and then I was a classical radio announcer. So I did always try to maintain. I also performed in uh, my law school's satirical musical reviews that we did each year. So I always was trying to keep a creative thing ongoing, even while pursuing two degrees. So you finished law school. Do you practice as an attorney, like up until now, or what is like? No, <laughs> I followed the previously mentioned boyfriend. He was a news reporter anchor. He had gotten a job in the South, and I followed him there, where I quickly got hired to be a radio station account executive. So I was selling radio advertising time, and they also, which was great, let me do commercials. So I was also writing and voicing my own commercials with mostly another female DJ who had a super deep voice. So I was kind of always like the, well, how do I get my clothes dry cleaned? Well, you go to so-and-so cleaner. So even with a sales job, I was trying to find ways to be creative and, and still do a little bit resume building. But he ultimately, through a long story, wound up moving to a different market until that I moved back to Chicago for a different uh, job that was also not very creative. But and it and that was actually for me the hardest job because <clears throat> excuse me um, it required a lot of travel. I was selling radio ratings for what was then called Arbitron and is now called Nielsen. A uh, Nielsen bought them. I had interned for them in college and they offered me a full time position. And the pay was great. I liked the people, but I covered 10 states, so I was constantly traveling. So that made even taking an acting class very challenging because I didn't always, I couldn't always say I won't travel on a Thursday when my class is. So, so that was a little frustrating for me because I couldn't, it was harder to pursue other things at the same time. What brought you to where you are now and what does life look like now for you? Well, I did the Arbitron thing for three years until honestly the traveling became so grueling. Again, this is a time before the internet. There was no GPS. You might have a triptych from AAA. You might be able to have like a paper map, but when you're driving ran- when you're driving random places by yourself, uh, no cell phones. So you couldn't even call the people. So I was in some rural place in Wisconsin, and I was running late because of traffic, even though I'm usually on time, and I um, couldn't find where I was going, and I inadvertently ran a stop sign, and I pulled over, and I started crying. I was just so frustrated. I'm like, I can't do this, like, constant travel and driving. Again, no internet, no cell phone, no laptop. You know, that's a lot. You know, think of how... Even if, if travel is frustrating today, you have these modern... And some of the hotels I stayed in didn't even have remote controls for the TV. <laughs> anyway, so I'm sitting in Wisconsin sobbing in my car. And I'm on a rural road. Like, there was no real, you know, chances of even getting caught for this violation or hitting anybody. Should, should I be admitting to a crime? <laughs> I don't know. But it was so long ago. Anyway, I did this. I'm crying. And this woman comes up to me. And she rolls down her window and she's like, are you okay, hon? And that made me cry even harder. And I'm like, this is the end. I cannot do this job anymore. So I left that. Then I decided to use some of my savings to actually pursue acting full time. However, this was a long time ago. I believe I still look young for my actual age, but I looked really young then. And they were I wasn't ready. I hadn't taken enough acting classes I really didn't know what to do at auditions. It was intimidating going to for me to go into these casting lobbies where everybody knew each other, and I was the newbie, and everyone's like, Sarah, you know, Janet, hey, and, and, and just being so confident and comfortable. And it was just, I didn't really know how to take direction in the room very well. And um, I did get an agent. That's how I was getting some of these auditions. So that did not really go so great and then I met someone who I wound up marrying for some time and I got a real job again that required my law degree and I did that for 13 years but I was able to take acting classes improv classes uh, did a lot of extra work during that time just because it was easy to get the occasional day off work for that 
it was harder to go to in-person auditions when you have a real day job because it was, even though I became very close with some of my clients and they said, you know, if you can't come to one of our meetings, we won't tell, you know, because they knew I wanted to be an actor. But it was very hard when you know you have a two o'clock meeting and then you get a 150 audition, you know, miles away. I, I just wasn't comfortable doing that. So I did that 13 years, and I did book a couple things. I did book my first TV commercial during that time, which was fun. Um, I started booking... When when did I start doing voiceover? No, I wasn't... I started... No, I was doing mostly on camera then, not voiceover. Because back in the day, voiceover... I guess I was... I let barriers to entry be very daunting to me. Mm. And the technology has made it so different because back in the day to do voiceover, you would have to make a demo, then you would have to produce cassette tapes hmm. with cool, fun graphics on them. You couldn't just, you know, hand write Ruth and send them out. So I just didn't know even how to get started with um, creating my own demos and, and doing that process. And then it did move on to CDs, which was a little bit easier because at least you could learn how to do that more yourself. But... Um, so yeah, while I had that job, I did continue to build my education. I took on camera classes and then finally I reached a certain age where you look around, I don't know how old you are, but back then I looked around and you do the math and you're like, wow, my life is half over mathematically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I need to decide that someday is now and figure out a way to make this happen because so many people do say, someday I'm going to do this or that. And I'd sort of been doing it all along, so I definitely think that helped. But as you know, even with self-tapes now for auditions, we still do sometimes, at least I do, you have Zoom callbacks. And yeah, maybe you can sneak it in in your office, but you need to be able to control the setting and the quiet and the technology. And so I left my job at the end of 2005 and really jumped in in 2006. And that's when I had my first voiceover demos made and already had an agent. I'm sorry, can you hear the noise? The yeah, but it's totally fine. Don't even worry okay. about it. When I edit it, it'll I'll be able to probably clear out most of the background noise. Okay. It happens. When I interview people in LA, all we hear is sirens in the background. Okay. Well, this sounds like a car alarm or something. It does. Okay. Um, as I was saying, I quit my job at the end of 2005, finally. And since it was the holidays, not much happens. So I really jumped in in 2006. I took some voiceover classes, had my first voiceover demo made. And I already did have on-camera agent, an on-camera agent. So they took me on with voiceover. And I just started booking more things because I was more prepared and available and much more confident in the room. And even some things I thought I would know, I would I did not know. The first time I had a food audition, and you eat something, and then they say, do it differently. And my thought was, I just ate this potato chip. How? How? I don't know what to do. So I took a bite and smile class. So you learn 10 different ways to eat something. And I actually did then book um, a, a food commercial. <laughs> Perhaps because I knew how to eat. They gave us a cookie in the audition, not the actual food. Perhaps because I knew how to eat a cookie without getting crumbs in my lipstick and looking like you're chewing. I mean, it's it's a lot to, to bite into a thing, especially a hard Nilla wafer. This was like not even a soft cookie. This is a Nilla wafer. So you're biting into a Nilla wafer. Try not to get the crumbs in your lipstick. Not bite off too much. No crumbs dropping. Eat it. Try to like react like it's good. Oh, like that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the biggest thing that's resonating with me is, like, I love what you're saying about the barriers of entry being really daunting. And I, oh, I, I feel that. And I think it's because, and let me know what your thoughts are, because we don't come from a traditional, like, traditional theater or film school, and we don't have, like, our people around us saying, this is what I've done to have success, here's what you should do. There's no mentorship and stuff like that. We're trying to figure it out on our own. So it can seem extremely, extremely daunting, especially, like you were saying, in a world in the time before the internet when you have to Dewey Decimal System card catalog, figure out if there's a book called How to Be an Actor. Um, how did you know... 
<laughs> this is so funny. How'd you know what to do, Ruth? But like, well, how did you build that? By 2006, there were computers in the internet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> so again, even though there's a lot of false information, if you sort of just do a basic search, how do I get into voiceover? You can start distilling the the basic steps and then at least do some further research from there or find vendors or classes to take or places to even you know more places to study if you want to do that so that was really helpful for me and maybe again maybe I was just I hate to think I was lazy but I just felt so I don't even know how I'm going to figure this out and then I just finally someday is now I'm going to figure it out a great quote that I had read once, I think it was Glennon Doyle who was talking about, you know, she was having this feeling of like, oh, in my next, oh, maybe in my next life, maybe in another life, I would have done this. Like, yeah. There's literally no other life. Right. Like, and huh. so, right. And it was risky to leave a good paying job. I had four weeks of paid vacation plus personal days and holidays. And I would say that's the biggest thing I miss because now when things slow down over the holidays or people, gainfully employed, if you will, people are getting paid for vacation days. So they're getting paid to enjoy their meals or take a vacation. And it's not always even just about the money per se, but when you are getting paid vacation, they're sort of paying you to go on vacation, whereas your holiday is coming out of your literal pocket. Yes. And so, and the whole insurance thing, but that's, that we could do a whole separate thing (laughs) But yeah, so I'm, that would be the biggest thing I miss. And also, too, the constant camaraderie of working with people in an office every day. How do you get over that fear? Because so much of what we, the reason why we go into these stable jobs, I think, is obviously stability and control. And to go into something like acting, where there is literally none of that, like it just doesn't exist and never will, you have to make it for yourself. How do you get into that shift in mindset to be like, this is okay? It's not easy. And especially, I think some actors are like me, where you sort of go through a feast period, and then a famine period, I would call a feast period when auditions are coming in and some bookings too. But then you can do all that and think, oh, this is great. And then there could be a month maybe with minimal auditions, if any, and no bookings. And in those times, even after doing this now for so many years, it still creeps in. Am I a fraud? Do people forget about me? You know, am I in an age uh, where there's just not many roles, which I do think, and we could do a whole other thing on this too. Again, I think you're younger than me, but there's definitely grandma age Mm-hmm. and mom age, mm-hmm. and I believe there's sort of a gap in between where you're neither. And I'm currently finding myself in that, I think, where I get a lot of grandma, they say grandma, or they'll say my actual age, but so far I haven't really booked those, but then I'm not always put in the slightly younger age group. So these are things that I did not really take into account when I was deciding what age to do this. Now, for voiceover, I still get things in my 30s, and I sometimes am not sure if I should do things that say senior because I'm I'm not going to, you know, you can fake, but I'm not a good enough voice actor, and that's not really what voice acting is, is to pretend to be a senior. Maybe if you're doing audio drama or something, but for narration and things, you're just you. And you sound how you sound. And I don't believe I sound like a senior at this time. So there's a lot of challenges, I believe, at whatever age, because I also have some younger friends, younger than I believe you as well, and they're struggling because there's so many of them. And how do you compete when you're in your 20s and 30s? And especially, I'm not going to name any names, of course, but you know, I know some people in their 20s who just think they're the cat's meow because in college they were everything. And they just don't understand. Now they're sort of, they still may be the great person that they are, but to even get in a room to get an audition is a challenge. And these are things we cannot control. So to go back to your question of how do you get over the fear, I'm not good at that. I don't have advice for that. I just think you just keep plugging on. And at some point you just have to, you know, leap in the net will appear uh, the artist's way. 
take do that book, see if that'll help you, um, and try to have a support network of other people who kind of understand, and not if you have a critical family. Mm, yeah. Or judgy people, or people, you know, here's another thing. <laughs> a lot of people don't really understand what actors do, which is fine, but... When you say you're an actor, it took me a while to learn to say I do on-camera and voiceover work. Because if I just said I'm an actor, people go to theater. And then they're like, well, I haven't seen you in any... What have I seen you in here? Why aren't you at the main theaters in Chicago? They'll list a few kind of a thing. Um, Things like that. So even I didn't know, for example, for voiceover, how many other things there are besides commercials when I started. And I don't even do mostly commercials. So even people who want to be an actor might not know where they would even really fit in best to acting. And they think, this is what I want to do, but I do think at some point it comes down to what people are going to hire you to do. And I, you want to be versatile and think you can do everything, but at some level we look the way we look. You know, I don't think you and I would ever, unless it's just female, you know, or, or female presenting, whatever the correct verbiage yeah. is today, you know, um, but like, do they want red hair? Do they want mm-hmm. someone, I've had people who like my attempt to look somewhat older by going partially gray and some people are like, oh, we love your hair. And other people who will say, hey, can we cover that up? You know, so even your hair can be polarizing to whether you get cast. It has nothing to do, especially for commercials with can you say, this is my mouse? You know, there's just so many factors. And that is always going to be the case. And I think it's so tricky, and I say this every episode, and I know <laughs> I say this every episode. It's so tricky, I think, when you don't have a good sense of self, because this is all about yourself. There's no, like, you are the product that you're selling to the the person, the customer, right? The director, the casting person, whoever. There's no in-between of, like, I build chairs, right? Here's my chair. The customer says, I don't like that chair. I'm going to go to another chair. You're like, fine. <laughs> That's not me. It's the chair you didn't like. But for this, it's like... This, it's it's me being vulnerable and being so human, and you're saying, nah, we're going to go in a different direction. But see, this is one of the areas where I think my sales and marketing and training background from all the jobs I have had have really helped, have, have really come in handy. Because in sales, even if you have the best product on the planet, you are the product, and that's how you have to see yourself. Some people will like my product, so it is the same as a chair. You might, or a mouse. Some people, I only have blue mice. I don't want a blue mouse. What's the difference between you have beautiful red hair, but I don't want red hair? You know, so I believe we are products. And that's why a sales and marketing background, and that's why I do some business coaching sometimes, because so many actors don't have that, can really help you promote yourself, market yourself, have the confidence to do, you know, cold calling. I mean, one of my jobs... I I did a ton of cold calling over the phone to boost sales. It worked. Is it fun? Not really. Can it be just disappointing? And these were people who had already bought something from my company. You, you know, it wasn't just people who didn't even know. You know, the one thing about being your own product is you're not, let's say, um, this is Logitech. You're not Logitech. You're not a brand necessarily yet the people have heard of. So, but at least when I could call a receptionist at a company and say, I work for this company, they would pass you through because they would know that. It wasn't just, I'm Ruth. And they're like, what? (laughs) So that has definitely been useful. The other thing is a legal background is very helpful with contracts because I have seen friends, people just literally sign a contract without even seeing what it says. I once did a print job where the product on the contract wasn't even the product we were there to represent. Will that matter someday? I don't know. But I do know, basically, vaguely some memory from long ago law school, that what's on the page is what you signed. And they, in theory, then you would have to litigate out of that. 
you know, or some, a lot of times through voiceover and on camera too, you've agreed to a certain usage, either through your agent or if you get it yourself, through yourself. And then you go, even once I went to a major recording studio for a major client and they had me a contract to sign when I get there and it was only supposed to be for doctor's offices. And it said, all media in perpetuity. Now, if you go and sign that, technically you have given that authority. But I, you know, I read it, contacted my agent. It's very hard to slow down a recording session where the client is sitting there, the engineers are sitting there, but I'm just not comfortable signing something that, in my opinion, is that egregious. And then potentially, because then that client, that contract goes back to the client, and then they don't know what maybe we agreed to because there's so many different departments in places. That is so important because I think so many of us, especially those of us who are entering into this later on in life, have the feeling of, I'm just happy to be here and I want to be easy to work with. But that is so scary, but so helpful. I also did another commercial, an on-camera commercial, where... They were also using some employees from the actual company, but they were using actors for something different. And they handed the contracts to us all, and I read it, and they had given us the employee contract, which was very different. So again, I don't know how that might come back to haunt you. It might not at all. It might pass through and nothing would happen. But if it did, who knows? You just, it's just you want everything to be dotted, the T's and the I's and crossed and dotted. So do you have any advice for anyone who's entering into this business who doesn't come at it from a legal background? <laughs> I would just say make sure you know what you're signing. And if you're handed a contract on set or before when you book a job through an agent especially, ask them what to do, what they want you to do if you're handed a contract on set because sometimes you get one and sometimes you don't. And you, sh- in my opinion, you shouldn't be signing things if you don't know what they are or if your agent hasn't approved it because it can come back to haunt them too. And that I think is really important because I think, well, obviously it's really important (laughs) because again, when I had, when I got an agent that really shifted my mind from this is the hobby that I'm enjoying pursuing to this is now the business because now there's somebody else and their reputation is involved as well. And their money as the product and their money and this is a business. Yes. And that's what a lot of people don't think. People, some people are so desperate for credits and work that they will do a lot of things that perhaps aren't beneficial to them, both physically and financially. And in some ways, the online marketplace has worked backwards to undercut the market because people can post things now for free and and call it a professional pay where you as a novice might see $50 for a voiceover. That's awesome. That's nothing. (laughs) And if you don't know the difference or understand what market rates even are, then you can't even make a decision. For this project, I'm willing to do this. Or these are people I really want, whatever the reason is. You know, will you work for free? Can you afford to work for free? That whole time management question, because... There are occasionally projects I still want to do an ex- be an extra on just because I don't think I'll get an audition for it and I would just like to be on that set. But once you've committed to that, what if I do get an audition for something else? Am I willing to, and it's not always, again, just about the money. Well, for a lot of people it is, but at some point it may be less about the money unless it's a huge opportunity. But if you get a similarly compensated opportunity, you know, but you've already committed to be an extra instead of a principal in something. It's very hard. That's a hard thing, too, because especially when you're in a famine period and you're just like, give me something uh, and you just want anything. But it, it's it's always a balancing act every single day. And how motivated are you? Again, because I was in sales, I do definitely go through periods of not motivated times where I'll just dust a lot and make sure my socks are folded. But a lot of the time, I know how to set goals, and I know how to have a marketing plan and a business plan, and I'm not afraid to do that kind of thing. But some actors don't even know where to start and don't, I've seen this many times, don't even want to put forth the effort to figure it out. Mm -hmm. They just assume I have an agent now, I'm done. 
And I don't think that was the case back when I first quit my job, and I really don't think that's the case today because there's a lot of work on Facebook and other places in terms of networking that require you to always be outreaching, in my opinion. What do you recommend for that, for networking and for outreaching? Because I know a lot of, especially newer actors, feel shy about doing that. They don't too like bad. themselves. <laughs> yeah, too bad. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I would say, this is my opinion, I would say if you don't even have a headshot, this is not the time. Mm. Even maybe for a beginning project, I just don't think a selfie, you know, maybe if it's a student film, but the more materials you have to start building your brand and who you are, the better off you'll be. I know for a fact, for example, because filmmakers have told me, and these aren't always even bigger films, they can be student films or small, just short films, they're so happy when people have quality footage to see that sometimes they might not even look at the people with no footage. So I'm not saying it's not a catch-22. It is. But jumping in without doing any preparation, like if you haven't taken any classes, how do you think you're going to know how to handle an actual audition or how you're going to handle a day on set or how to even behave on set? These are somewhat learned skills. And you can learn some things by being an extra. You can certainly get some assessment of set behavior, by being an extra, if you're close enough to the action, that's very helpful, or how a big set operates, very helpful for beginners to at least do. And I do think that reassures some people that at least you have been on set and not kicked out. So I would say, you know, start start following some casting directors on social media and listen to their advice, which can also be conflicting which is hard, but just start getting involved in the community online. You do have to invest some time, but at least following people and watching their reels and things is free in terms of out cash outlay. But I still feel people need good headshots. Start seeing if you can do some student films to get some on-camera time. Some of those now, because the technology has changed, are on excellent cameras, and some of them do have good enough audio even that it's a clip of something. But having nothing in a competitive world like today can make it challenging unless, again, you have the exact look. You know, if they're desperate for somebody with a gray streak and I'm the only one that pops up and I have no experience, that might get you in the door. But being prepared and learning your craft and the business, and it takes a lot. I'm still learning. Do you have any favorite on-set stories or memories? Good ones or bad ones? <laughs> yeah. Either or and. My my favorite good one was definitely doing uh, She-Hulk Attorney at Law for Marvel Studios. Uh, I've been on some major sets before and had some great opportunities, but this was this just was by far and away the most fun, the coolest thing I've ever gotten to do. And it was just, and it was also just fun. Not that films aren't fun, but... You know, I was playing a superhuman attorney representing a shape-shifting light elf. You just don't get to do that every day. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a mom. I love being a mom. I've been a lot of therapists and psychiatrists. I'll love it. But it's also fun to get to do something really cool. Um, And, like, how many times um, part of my lines were about Megan the Stallion? You know, and she actually appears later in the episode. You know, so it's like... It was just such a confluence of all fun things and so super exciting. And just to even be, I'm in the MCU now and my character has its own wiki page. And it's just, it's just really, really cool. This is the coolest. It was so cool. It is so cool. Yeah, it was so cool. And I, but I couldn't talk about it for so long, for, for very long. So that was really hard. The fact that you actually got to play an attorney I know. <laughs> and you are one. Like, that's so cool. That's like, that's the beginning of the coolness. <laughs> it might have helped uh, because when they, it might have helped. I don't know that, but I, it might have. Because I did have to say some legally things. Mm. So. And do you have any, do you have any horror stories? <laughs> I would say the, the hardest one for me was I had a, a bagel audition once. You always want to do a good job on any audition because even if you don't get that thing, people do remember. And if you do a good job or they like your look or whatever and they think, you know, she wasn't right for this mouse commercial, but 
we're going to bring her back or we want to add her to our, you know, continue to coloring list. It was a bagel audition. And it said right in the copy that you're supposed to have your cheeks full of bagel and kind of be like, oh, 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 oh. but then you have to spit it out at the end and actually say something. So I took this, and they give you a spit cup. So that's another thing. Like if you've never even thought about what a spit cup is, you have to think about that because you spit the food into the cup. You don't, you can't swallow it. How would you talk? Yeah, you can't swallow yeah. it. But even when I did my um, national commercial for eating food, the food that they actually brought you wasn't hot. It was cold. And you're eating this food all day on a, on a set, not on the audition. But on set, you're, you're doing bite after bite after bite. And so you have to learn how to, like, mm. Anyway, but back to where we were. So I'm in this bagel. I have this huge mouth of bagel. My mouth was so dry, I could not get it out in time to say the line. Now, on set, maybe they wouldn't care. I, well, they would care because, they're, they're, I mean, they're going to have to cut away somehow. But, like, when you're doing the audition, I went, it did not go well. And also, sometimes being an extra, you're not treated very well. So I did write a novel called My Life is an Extra that may or may not be based on some of these actual stories. I don't know that answer. But there was definitely a time where I was on set for a film, and I was an extra, and we were told to turn our chairs and face the wall because the crew did not like the fact we were facing them while they were eating. Oh, for God's sakes. So when you say, to, yes, you know you're just an extra, but yeah, and... Yeah. So we, you wrote a novel about how about your life as an extra. So we can find that in the library when the internet is down. Uh, it's on Amazon. <laughs> it, I don't know that that's in a library, any libraries. And, and then I did write a sequel that hasn't quite happened yet, called "My Life as a Star." Oh, I love that. That's <laughs> awesome. That's amazing. Thank you. I'll definitely link. I'll definitely link that to um, okay. to the Amazon because yeah. there are so many people that I chat with. Because I, I I am the same as you. I I did a lot of extra work prior to now moving into principal work, and I think it's so important, especially here in Canada, when you it, there's such limited avail limited things to teach yourself how to be mm-hmm. on set. Um, yeah, that's that's really cool. Congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and it, it was def- I, I, I definitely think beginning actors should at least be an extra a couple times. I think you should oh, do yeah. it in a movie, and I think you should try to get on the biggest set you can just for comparison purposes. Because I definitely have seen, there was also one show that I <clears throat> was an extra for where the director was also in it, and he forgot his lines, and he got frustrated. And we're all spread out on a bridge downtown, right? So they must have shut down the, you know, it's the middle of the day. We're all spread out, like, to be walking commuters on a bridge. He forgot his lines and left. That's right. And it was for a major streaming service. Now, that really had nothing to do with me personally. You know, it wasn't them treating extras poorly, but just to show ways you might not want to (laughs) behave. Yeah, he left. I wonder if I'll ever get to... You know, like, will I ever get to the point in my career when I can be like, yep, I'm just going to leave this bajillion dollar budget. Goodbye. And everyone was literally standing there like, I mean, I, you you know, at first, I think I sort of thought maybe he was just going off to get some water, clear his head. Nope. We went back to holding and went home. Oh, my goodness. That's, That's my memory anyway. Yeah. But, you know, so you definitely learn how to behave. And you also get to watch actors. Uh, I worked on Public Enemies with Johnny Depp and Michael Mm -hmm. Mann. And I was fortunate enough to be very, very, very close to them. So you can hear their interaction and you get to... So I, I sort of see it if you're lucky enough to get a scene like that, which, again, you can't control. But I was literally... It was almost like a master class in that way because you saw them communicating, you saw how both of them interact with each other, and then you saw the next take. So that is one reason I think extra work can be helpful. But if you're a pedestrian in a crowd, obviously you don't you still learn things, but you don't get the intimate benefit of hearing everything the director's saying or watching how they run their sets. And then once you've done enough, you see how different directors operate. And it, it's very, it, it, it can be informative, but it takes time. And extras do not get paid that much. In Chicago, 
I, in L.A., you can get extra vouchers if you want to to become SAG, if that's your path. You can't do that here. Yeah. Nope. I didn't realize nope. it was state-specific. Yep. And that's silly. Yeah. Well, there's also right-to-work states as well, like Georgia is mm, one. Where, yeah. yeah. So there, there are some state-specific. Huh. Yeah. So, I mean, but that's another thing that actors... A lot of actors that I know that are beginners, like, I can't wait till I can join SAG. Well, in some markets, that's not, at the beginning especially, that's not the be-all, end-all. And when you are SAG, you're competing with a different, you're cutting yourself, and this is just my opinion, especially at the beginning, and I've heard some industry professionals express this as well, that at the beginning, you don't want to rush to join because you just don't have the credits or experience or backup necessarily to help you compete in that pond. So it's, it's a personal choice, but if you don't know all your options and don't understand the differences, you can't make an educated decision. Do you have anything you're looking forward to coming up this year? I do have a couple smaller roles and some features that will be fun, and I do have a um, kind of outrageous physical comedy short film coming up that it's, I'm glad to be doing. They are actually bringing in some stunt people for some of the more outrageous things, so I'm interested to see how all that comes together. Cool. That yeah. sounds wonderful. That sounds so fun. Yeah, it's it's fun. And there's a slim chance a commercial I'm in might be on the Super Bowl, but I don't know if my commercial will be. I know that the advertiser is running two spots, but I can't, you know, they, they have sort of montage commercials, and I don't know if mine will be in it, but now I'm going to have to take the Super Bowl just to see. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> And, and some commercials have already been released. I've been looking, but they have not yet released theirs. So This one. Oh, yeah. that's exciting. So it just would be just to be able to say, I'm, I'm only glimpsed in it in three shots, but still, I booked this national commercial out of other people, and it has, has already been running on NFL games. So, you know, that's just it's just cool. It's so cool. Yeah. It's cool, and I do like to if I'm lucky enough to get a variety of things, I do some student films still because it's a fun way to meet up-and-coming directors. Um, I actually even did last year a high school student's film. Really ambitious. I liked the script, which he also wrote. It turned out great, and he was using it to get into film school. So, you know, if you can have the time to do other kinds of outreach and find projects... But it's hard. Some actors need every dollar, and they need every single moment of their day to be dedicated toward income producing. Some independent films and things might not be for everybody because both SAG and non-union don't always pay a lot for some of the shorter films, you know, because low budget rates are low, in my opinion. Some people might think it's a lot, I guess, compared to what they can make, but um, so these are all the things you really have to think about, and that's, again, why I do do some beginning actor coaching just to raise all the issues that I think people should think about when they're getting started to save themselves the trouble later of being, oh, I wish I knew that. (laughs) If people wanted to work with you, where would they be able to find you? On my website, it's called Ruth Talks and there's a coaching page there. Perfect. I will link it in the show notes. That's fantastic. Thank you. Do you have any final words of wisdom or advice? I would have to go back to something we talked about is you do have to have a lot of confidence when you're in auditions. You do have to now, you know, this whole self-taping thing, if you're not good with technology, either voiceover or on camera, I do all my auditions from home. Even before COVID, I was doing all my auditions from home. I was doing most of my recordings from home. So if you don't know how to set up, edit, record, submit voiceovers, you got to learn that. And your sound has to be competitive with other people. You can't just do it, you know, while your air conditioner is running and whatever. Or like even you, you know, you look at your perfect lighting and your background. I went with purple. That's my self-taping wall. I love the purple. Thank you. Um, but some people might not, you know. But you also have to be able to have your audio good, your camera good. So the technology aspect of what's required of all actors today you have to know how to set up Zoom lighting. I had a Zoom callback yesterday for a commercial. You have to be 
there and know how to do that and, and be as well lit as the other people and have audio. They can't be like, what? And you have to have great internet. These are just givens. And if you're not ready for all those things, you're not ready to be auditioning, in my opinion. Well, you aren't because you won't be competitive. Let's just leave it at that. Oh, and you also have to, for self-tapes, a lot of time, get readers. And then you have to know how to edit everything together. So it can be a lot. So I would say if, if you want to become an actor, start learning. Figure out what you think your niche is going to be. Don't just consider, I'm going to be an actor. Think, I want to try this. Are you good at being funny? Some people want to be funny and they're not. Are you good at being serious? What What is your sort of overall look? just generally present you as you know if you're 20 but you still look like a a college or 22 but still really look like you should be in high school is that something you want to try to direct yourself towards or are you going to try to go older because that's what you think you want Mm -hmm. so I think it comes back to that know where you try to figure out where you fit in where talent buyers will see you and then get your technology up to snuff Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you, Ruth, for being my guest this week. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to share your incredible story with me and with my listeners. I hope you all will tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye. Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. Negative Nancys, Judgy McJudgersons, or Debbie Downers, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye! Bye!